Aren't you glad that when you need him, he's just a breath away? Amen. Well, we're so glad you're here. If you're a first-time guest, you are a VIP, very important person. Arden First Baptist is a place where you can believe, belong, and become. And we just want you to know that this is a place that it feels like family when you walk through the door. Amen. This time, before we jump into our message, we want to recognize, before we call up our kids up here, uh, Teresa Bear, if you'll come on up here and help me. I want to ask all the volunteers that helped out with their five-day kid summer camp to stand. And we want to recognize you guys. If they're a little tired, you know why. Five days, they survive. We want to appreciate you guys, everyone that pitched in and helped. So uh, you guys may be seated. At this time, we want to call all of our candidates that graduated from our five-day club. Come on up. Miss Teresa's got a certificate. We're going to ask you to stand in front so we can get some pictures. I know your mom and dad want to take some pictures of you, but let's give them a hand. They survived five days. Go ahead and line up in front, just right up in here. And we're going to say a special blessing over you guys once we get your picture. We have a good-looking group of kids, amen? Kind of as they come up the backstory. uh... We were just praying for God to have a good week, and we had just a few kids signed up, so we're like, you know, maybe we'll have 10. Um, throughout the week, I think we had over 40 kids total that showed up, and um, they were able to hear God's love and God's truth presented, and, and they, they did a great job. So we're going to get them lined up and uh, take a nice picture. We have a few that went back to the nursery, yeah. So these kids, that kind of give you guys, guys an idea, every day we had, if you ever drove by the church, we have bounce rides by the road, and we had people that would even drive by to come to check out VBS. And uh, we had Child Evangelism Fellowship come and help us out. They came for five days and just a great group of people and wonderful group of kids. And it was amazing to see um, the children each day, how they learn Bible stories and they learn great missionary stories and really great. All right, I think that's everyone and. So let's let's get a good picture of these guys. Everyone smile. One, two, three, cheese. You know how it is kids getting a picture, having them stay still for more than five seconds. All right, before you guys are dismissed, um, all the kids five and under will go. If you'd like to go to the preschool, you're welcome to. If you're over five, stay in here with your parents. But we want to say a prayer of blessing over you guys. And uh, we love kids Arden first. Amen. So let's let's. Say a blessing over these kids. Father, we thank you for our children, Arden first, and how much they mean to us. We thank you for entrusting them to us, and we just pray that you would bless them. We pray that they each would grow to come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior. We pray you keep them healthy, safe, and strong. Help them have a good summer, and as they get ready for another school year next year, Lord, we just pray that you would prepare their minds and their hearts to prepare them for what you have for their future. 
In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Let's give the kids a hand. If you are preschool age and would like to go to preschool, Miss Lori can take you. That's five and under. If you want to stay, you're welcome to stay as well. All right, we're going to have a special edition this Sunday, since it is VBS Graduation Sunday. Wanted to do a message that would be relevant to our children as well as to our adults. And for those of you visiting, we've been going through First Peter each week. But today we're going to be in John chapter 6. And today's message, what is it called? Small is the new big. And we're going to talk about no matter how young or how old you are, God can greatly use you. And I don't know about you guys, but there's been times in my life where I felt inadequate. I felt like I didn't have enough. I felt like I didn't have enough to bring. Have you guys ever felt like compared to others, you just didn't measure up? Anyone ever felt that way? I know I felt that way. Um, I came across this is what if Jesus hired an HR firm? What would that look like? Anybody, any HR people in here? I know we've got a few. Okay, this is a letter written to suppose if Jesus had hired an HR firm for his disciples. This is written from the Jordan, Jordan Management Consultants. It says, Dear sir, dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have chosen for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have taken our battery of tests, and we have not only run the results through our computer, but we have arranged personal interviews, each of them with a psychologist, and they each have taken a vocational aptitude test. Anybody ever taken one of those tests? Myers-Briggs? Okay. It says, the profiles of all the tests are included, and you need to study them carefully. It is our opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for this type of enterprise that you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you would continue your search for persons of experience and managerial experience and proven capacity. It says Simon Peter, for instance, is emotionally unstable, unstable, unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leaderships. The two brothers, James and John, place personal interests above team loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that could undermine the team morale. And we wanted to let you know it's under air duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, have radical leanings, and they both registered high on a score of the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He has a man of ability and resourceful. He meets people well. He has a keen business mind. He has high contacts, and he's well-connected in the area. He's highly motivated, ambitious, responsible, and he handles money well. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. We wish you well in all your endeavors. Sincerely, the Jordan Management HR firm. Now, aren't you glad that God doesn't see things the way we see it? Because most of us would not make the cut. And we're going to talk about a little boy today in John 6 who had five loaves and how many fish? Five loaves and two fish. 
And today we're going to talk about something that maybe we've heard before in church, but I want us to see it with a fresh lens. I want to look at it through new new set of eyes. So we're going to do something different. Everyone take out your cell phone. I'm going to actually give you permission to use your cell phone during the service. You're like, this. most of you are using it anyway. You're hiding it under the pew. I can see it right now. So you're going to find someone to text these four letters. F-B-S-P. So get out your cell phone. You can put it on Facebook if you'd like. And uh, the letters are F-B-S-P. And maybe you want to say, I'll explain later, because they'll be blowing up your phone during church. Like, what are you talking about? You know, this is not uh, an emojicon or, you know, what is F-B-S-P? So go ahead and take it out. Find someone. Don't text me, because my phone will be blowing up. So F-B-S-P, I'll explain later. So this entire sermon can be summarized in those four letters. So today we're going to talk about what it's like to follow Jesus, what it's like to love him, what it's like to serve him. So we're going to jump in John 6. And a little background, this is the only miracle except for Jesus' resurrection that's in all four Gospels. There's no other miracle apart from the resurrection that's in all four. So the way I view that is if God tells you something one time, you should pay attention to it. If it tells you something twice, you really need to say, what is God trying to say? But if he tells you four times something, maybe he's trying to get a message across. And so this is very important. So we're going to start in John 6, starting in verse 1. It says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. So verse 1, it kind of gives a little background. After these things, well... About six months has elapsed between John chapter 5 and John chapter 6. We know in John 2, Jesus turned water into... He he did all these great miracles. We know from parallel gospels, John the Baptist, what has happened to him? He's just been beheaded. The Pharisees are trying to kill Jesus. So the disciples have just been sent out on a mission, and they're tired. So John chapter 6 is really... It's the vacation that's supposed to be. You guys ever went on a vacation that... Didn't turn out to be a vacation. For those of you who had kids, all of us are like, (laughs) that happens. Well, this is what happens in John 6. They were going to go on a vacation, and you'll see what happens. Verse 2. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. So they they were going to get on a little getaway, a little retreat, if you will. And all of a sudden, Jesus looks up and all these people start following him. How would you like it if you went on your vacation, let's say if you're going to Charleston or the beach, and all of a sudden your whole family shows up. It's a family reunion in your condo. And you're like, I thought this would just be me and my wife. And like the whole family's there. And like we heard that you have extra room and extra food. How many of you would enjoy that vacation? Probably not many of us. Verse 4, Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he asked Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these people may eat? But this he said to test him, because, of course, Jesus knew what he would do. Look at the next verse, verse 7. Philip answered, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that each one of them may have a little. So, in other words, a denarii was a day's wage, so... You could say about $40,000 or whatever, you know, two-thirds of a year's salary. This, this is not enough. If everyone had a, a little bite, even if we had thousands and thousands of dollars, it wouldn't cover it. 
So one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about how many? 5,000. We know from Matthew, uh, the parallel gospel, that this did not include women and children. It was counting the heads of the household. So, let's do a little math here. If every man had at least one child and a wife, how many people would that be? And if you had two kids in the mix, you could have easily 20,000 people. So what we're getting ready to experience, you can look at this as one miracle, or another way to look at it, this could be potentially 20,000 miracles. Because each one for whom Jesus did, that was a miracle for them. So this is a pretty incredible miracle. So Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. Now, how many of you have ever fed a large crowd before, say 100 or more people? Anybody? I remember one time I had Thanksgiving at my house and invited some church folk, and we had... I have to ask my wife. It was about 70 people showed up at my house. And it was like we were throwing tables outside in the garage. And we were sweating just to feed that many. Can you imagine potentially 20,000 people and you only have 12 waiters? I mean, that's like, that's a miracle in and of itself how they did that. So they sat down. And it says that Jesus took the loaves, given thanks. And by the way, this is one of the shortest prayers of Jesus in the Bible. It just says he gave thanks. And we'll see this at the Last Supper. Jesus gave thanks. It's not recorded what he said, but we know when God gives thanks, he's, he's praying with faith like he believes God the Father is getting ready to do something. So notice it says they had as much as they wanted. Verse 12. So when they were filled, I love how it says they were filled because some liberal theologians have said, you know, really what happened is this is the little boy shared his lunch. Everyone started sharing and everyone had like a great share feast. This is not what's going on here. This is a miracle where just God does something supernatural. And notice in verse 12, when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is wasted. Now, how many of you think there's going to be fragments left over with five little pieces of bread and two little fish? I mean, leftovers? You've just fed almost 20,000 people and there's leftovers? Therefore, they gathered them up and filled how many baskets? Twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Let's pray over God's word. Father, your word is quite amazing. I pray that you would help us to understand what your word has to say to us. Ask and pray that you would speak to us. And you would transform the way we think about what little we have to bring to the table. Because God, whatever small we have, when we place it in the hands of a big God, small becomes the new big. We thank you for that. Open our eyes to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So small becomes the new big. The first letter, F. Can anybody guess what that stands for? Follow. Whenever you follow Jesus with reckless abandonment. Now, when you think about following Jesus, a lot of things come to your mind. I was reading a story about Navy SEALs that were asked to do this covert mission at this other country. It was kind of like this hidden operation. 
And there were these hostages that were hidden out for months in this building. It was kind of, I guess, like a warehouse. And these Navy SEALs went to go and rescue these hostages. And whenever they kicked down the door and they saw the hostages, they were just groaning. And they, they thought that they were enemies coming in to take them over. And the Navy SEAL said, we're Americans and we're here to help you. And the hostages didn't really believe that they were truly Americans because they had been tortured and hurt. So they, they, they stayed there, huddled in the corner. And the Navy SEAL said, we are Americans. We've come to rescue you. Follow us. We're going to get you out of danger. But they stayed there. And the Navy SEALs looked at the big group of people huddled in the corner and they said, there's no way we can carry all these people out. What do we do? We didn't get any of this in our training. So one of the Navy SEALs had great intuition. He took off, of it, took off his armor, his gun, took off his helmet, and he curled up next to those other people in the corner. And he shriveled up in a ball just like they were doing. And he put his arm around him, and he changed the way his face was to, to more, I'm here for you. And eventually some of the hostages looked up at the Navy SEAL and gave him eye contact, and he said, I'm here for you. We're co- we've come to rescue you. And the hostages knew that no prison warden would get down and curl up in a ball and do that. This was not a surprise attack. This was real. So he said, will you follow me? And he got up, and one of the other hostages stood up, and eventually the whole group stood up, and they were able to get them out of the warehouse and fly them to safety. And upon reflection, isn't that what Jesus did for us? You know, God said, follow me. And many of the people in human history is like, I don't know how or what. And they, they didn't know who to follow. And there was so much deception upon the world because the world has fallen. And Jesus came as the God-man and he curled up in our corner. He lived the life that we couldn't have lived. He lived among us as God in flesh. And he said, follow me. And that's, that illustration just kind of blew my mind when I read it, that God wants us to follow, but he's not commanding orders to follow me. He actually was the God who was among us and lived among us. Amen? So before I give you some reasons why you should follow Jesus, I'm going to give you three reasons why you shouldn't follow Jesus. And you're like, whoa, this is church? You're going to tell me reasons why you shouldn't follow Jesus? Well, first of all, let me give you three reasons why you shouldn't. Number one, don't follow Jesus for what you can get out of him. So let me talk to the ladies here. Ladies, imagine... Before you got married, and for those of you who are single, your husband-to-be, imagine if your husband or husband-to-be said, Baby, I will marry you, but here's my real motive. I want someone that's going to cook my food every meal. I want someone that's going to massage my neck every night, that's going to wash my feet, rub, and on and on. All the ladies are getting upset right now because what would you say? You'd be like, Oh, no, Mama don't think so, you know, whatever. So, if we say, I'm going to follow Jesus because I can get something out of him, that's not really the right motive. Jesus said it like this in Mark 10, 42-45. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So don't follow Jesus for what you can get out of him. Number two, second reason why you shouldn't follow Jesus if this is a real reason, don't follow Jesus if you want the easy life. There's so many televangelists. There's some good ones out there, but some are like, if you will send your 1999 to this ministry, 
God's going to bless you. You're going to roll up the Rolls Royce or a Cadillac or whatever. You know, it's going to be the easy life. And you try it. Hopefully no one's ever tried that. And it doesn't work. And you're like, that, that televangelist promised me if I sow into his ministry all these blessings. And you're like, that doesn't really work. Luke 9.23 said, if, Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself and take up your what? Cross. So if, if you want the easy life, Jesus didn't promise that. Number three, don't follow Jesus if you're not willing to love him above all. So I talked to the ladies, I'll, I'll talk to the men. Men, imagine if your wife or wife-to-be said, Honey, I want to marry you because you have a lot of money. <laughs> I may be like, okay, quiet in the room, it's crickets in church. Um, I'll marry you because, and you fill in the blank, and it was just self-serving. I don't really love you. Boys don't like girls. Girls just like cars and what? Money, right? You've heard that song. Uh, that's not the right reason to follow Jesus. Now listen to Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. He says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more, more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So those are some wrong motives why some people claim to follow Jesus. You guys want to know three reasons why you should follow Jesus? You guys with me? Say, uh-huh. Number one, follow Jesus because he has a much better plan for your life than you do. Jeremiah 1.5, God appeared to Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, before you were born, I chose you to be a prophet. I consecrated you even before you were born. And the same is true of us. Each one of you, before you breathed your first breath, God said, I have a plan for you. If you'll just follow me, the plan will be amazing. Number two, follow Jesus because he loves you more than you can ever imagine. Same prophet Jeremiah 31.3. God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now, that's hard to wrap my mind around because I have a beginning and I'm not, I'm not everlasting this side of eternity. But somehow that verse says, as long as God has existed, he's had love for you, for who you would be. Because he saw you coming even before you were here. Number three, follow Jesus because he wants to give you a new life. Follow Jesus because he wants to give you a new life. So, I want you guys to think back to your first car. Did anybody ever have a Ford Pinto when you were young? One person had a Ford Pinto. Two. Okay, one thing about the Ford Pintos is they were notorious for doing what? Burning, breaking down. I did have a picture, but it got lost in, in, in time and space. But I had this picture, this 1971, I want you to visualize, pea green Ford Pinto. And it's kind of in the junkyard, doesn't look very glorious. So let's say our youth pastor Adam is driving this 71 Ford Pinto. And all of a sudden, he, back in the day before he met Renee, were you a cruiser of Patton Avenue? Okay, he confesses, this is church, he cruised Patton. So he was cruising Patton, just picture with me, before, before Renee days. And next to him pulls a brand new Lamborghini Venino. Anybody, you've heard of the Diablo, but anybody ever heard of the Lamborghini Venino? Okay, you'll have to Google it when you get home. A few facts about it. It's a V12, 750 horsepower, and all the guys said... Oh, oh, oh. All right. Top speed is 221 miles per hour, 0 to 60 in 2.8 seconds. And did I mention it costs about $4.5 million? So, Adam, would you exchange your 71 
pea green Ford Pinto for a candy apple red Lamborghini Benino? Would you do it? Most people would say, no joke, I'll, I'll exchange. So spiritually speaking, the Bible says your old life was like the Pinto. It was constantly breaking down. You were setting things in fire. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. We've gotten off the path. It says the wage of sin is death. We're like that, that car that keeps dying and breaking down on the road. And spiritually speaking, there's, there's, there's this Lamborghini Benina that pulls up. And it seems too good to be true. And it's paid for you because Jesus paid for it in full. And here's the thing. If you will give your life to Christ, it's like a divine exchange. Your old life for the new life. And your new life is far better than the Vignino. There's nothing you can picture because it's eternal. Amen? So how many of you want to make that exchange? Sign me up. So those are some reasons why you follow Jesus. If you're going to follow Jesus, you need to do so with reckless abandonment. Now I want you to notice in the text, verses 1 through 3, a lot of the people, as I mentioned, negative motives, they're following Jesus because they see his signs. They want Jesus to feed their, their, their stomachs. They want Jesus to do this and that. But we see the little boy. He seems to have a little different motive for following Jesus. Number two, so the F stood for follow. What does the B stand for? Believe. I love this point right here. Believe that God tests us so that he can bless us. Notice verses 5 through 7. It says that Jesus was testing who in this story? Philip, right? And he basically said, you know, where are we going to buy food? And he asked this to Philip to test him. This was like Philip's test. Why did he ask Philip? This is something interesting background. Philip was from Bethsaida, which is one of the nearby towns. So if anybody knew where to get food, it would have been Philip. So Jesus is basically, it's like the equivalent of Jesus was in Asheville. And he's like, okay, where do, where do we buy food? Most of you could say Ingalls is down here, Publix is this way, and you know where to direct someone. So I want you guys to get the picture that Jesus is it's, he's doing something that's going to blow their minds. And they don't fully understand. It's, it's quite intriguing. In John 2, Jesus turned water into, and they, they see Jesus do the miraculous, but they forget about it. Some of us have spiritual short-term memory. God has been so good to you in your past but you forget about it. And that's why a lot of you ladies are good at this. You keep a journal, a spiritual journal. How many of you ladies keep one? Us guys are horrible at that. But you look back and you see what God did and what he can do again. So here's some things I want you to see in verse 5. Look back in verse 5. It says that Jesus lifted his eyes. He saw this great multitude. And he asked Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 denarii, that's like almost two-thirds of a year's wages, would not be enough so that everyone would, would have enough. So here's, here's something interesting. Each of the disciples had a different way of dealing with problems. And this is not in your notes, but it would be helpful to write this down. The first way to deal with a problem is to avoid it. Notice in, in the passage, and you'll see this in parallel in Mark chapter 6, many of the disciples said, send the people away. Let's just avoid the problem. Many of us, if you're kind of a passive-aggressive personality, you like to avoid things. You don't like to... How many of you like to avoid drama? I'll raise that. You know, you just, okay, send it away. Let's avoid it. The second way of dealing with conflict and problem is you try to resource the problem. So some people avoid it. Some people try to resource it. Uh, Philip, what did he say? We just need money, right? If we just had two-thirds of a year's wages, 
well, everyone could have a snack, right? So some people think money is the answer to the problems. But there's a third resource. There's a third biblical way, and it's to give your problem to God. You can avoid your problem. You can try to come up with human solutions like let's resource it, or you can give the problem to God. And this is what we see the little boy. He's bringing his five loaves and two fish, and God is using this to do a miracle. Now, here's a miracle that I've never heard anyone talk about until recently when I was studying it. But have you ever thought about the miracle of a little boy sharing his food? I mean, think about that. It's a miracle that all these people fed. But for those of you who have kids, how many of you kids naturally share? I mean, this could be the miracle before the miracle, right? The little boy is willing to give his food to potentially 20,000 people. And having three kids of my own, I would say that's the miracle, the little miracle that gave birth to the big miracle. Amen. So here's the question. Some of you are going through trials right now. Some of you are going through testing and you don't understand. Your job may be going very difficult. Some of you may have recently lost a job. Some of you are having marital challenges. Some of you are having problems with your children and grandchildren. Many of you know people in the hospital. So you're like, why is all these bad things happening to me? Why me? Everyone around me is going through problems and situations and challenges. So here's a question I want to ask you. What if, as a Christian, what if there's a direct correlation with the size of your trial and the size of your intended blessing on the other side? What if there's a correlation? Look at Jesus. His biggest trial was what? What did he have to do? He died on the cross. Would you say that's a pretty big trial? Look at the outcome. Salvation is available to whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you're following Jesus and you're in a trial you didn't bring on yourself, God allows, and it's very severe, and some of you have been through trials a long period of time, what's on the other side of that? Does that not encourage you to think about that? Let me give you three secrets about trials. And these are for the believer. This doesn't apply to the non-believer, but these are the believer. Number one is trials are temporary. Every trial, even if it's a lifelong illness, if you're a Christian, eventually you're going to get a brand new body, right? Every trial you go through is temporary and has an expiration date. I don't know about you, but that's good news. And, um, you know, as a pastor, I always pray for healing. I always pray for God to help people. But in the end, I know God eventually wants to take us all to heaven, right? He can keep on healing these sick bodies, but if we knew what waited on the other side, would we really keep on praying for healing? You know, if we're still in the pinto, we know a benino awaits us. Do we still want to drive in the pinto? Just a thought. Number two, trials are teachers. Every trial is meant to teach you something. So you've got to ask yourself the question, what is God trying to teach me? What's the purpose of this? It says in the book of James, James chapter 1, that trials are meant to develop something in you. Develop character, develop perseverance. And God is using that, which flows into the third. And this is a general proverb. This is not true 100% of the time, but this is generally true. And that's the nature of a proverb. And this has really helped me out a lot. The quicker you learn the lesson, generally speaking, the quicker you get out of a trial. I'll give you an example. Um, Several years back, I was uh, back from seminary and I was trying to get a job and I couldn't get a job. So I did what a lot of people do when you can't get a job. I got a job at a fast food restaurant, and uh, I'm sweeping the parking lot, and I'm just like, God, you know, I, I went all the way to school, went to graduate school, went back to sweep parking lots. I mean, come on, God. And a lot of people in their 20s deal with this. And while I was in the midst of sweeping the parking lot, a thought occurred to me. 
maybe God's trying to teach you something, Timothy. And I'm like, thanks a lot, God. You know, here sleeping in this parking lot. What what could you be teaching me? What do you guys think God may have been teaching me at that moment? Patience and humility, right? Both things. Both things I needed and still need to work on. And so while I was sleeping in the parking lot, I had one of those spiritual epiphanies where God's speaking to you. And I'm like, okay, God's trying to teach me humility, so I better learn. So I'm like, God, whatever humility is, I don't want to get prideful about being humble. <laughs> it's like the guy who got a reward for being humble and got his crown taken away because he was prideful about it. I mean, humility is a hard thing. Don't ever say you are because if you say you are, you're not. That's the challenging thing about humility. So that's the best kept secret. So when you're going through testing, remember this. The testing comes before the blessing. The treasure comes before, excuse me, I got it backwards. The, The cross, you think about the cross, what comes after the cross? The crown, right? And the trial comes before the treasure. So I want you guys to think about, those are some best kept secrets about trials. So if we want to follow Jesus like this little boy, we have to follow, we have to believe. And what is the next letter? Add your text. Surrender. Willingly surrender yourself for the greater good of others. Verses 8 through 11, this little boy gave up what he had. And it was a small bag lunch for a little boy. It was enough food for a little boy. So when you think of, uh, when it says five barley loaves, it's not talking about foot-long subs at Subway. This is talking about like a large cracker. I mean, very small piece of bread. And barley loaf, by the way, was for the poor people. So this is a, a little boy who had a meager lunch. And he didn't have a lot, but he gave what he had to Jesus. And all of a sudden, God used that to change the course of that day. And it still ripples into human history. Some of you may have heard the story about the man that was a writer. It was an older gentleman, and he used to walk along the beach. And one morning, he was walking along the beach. There had been a great storm the night before. And there were starfish all up and down the coast. And the gentleman would walk him down the beach to get inspiration for writing. And all of a sudden, as he was walking, he saw this little boy. And as the boy was approaching him, he would stoop down and stand back up. And the, the older gentleman didn't know what he was doing. And finally, as the boy got closer, he kept seeing him stoop down. And he noticed he was throwing starfish back into the ocean. And the older gentleman looked at the boy and said, Son, can I ask you a question? And he said, Sure. He said, Why, What are you doing? And he said, Well, I'm trying to save these starfish. And the older gentleman laughed and said, Son, there's tens of thousands of starfish up and down this coast. I'm afraid you won't make that much of a difference. And the little boy, unindated, reached down again, picked up another starfish and smiled at the older gentleman and said, I've made a difference to that one. I made a difference to that one. And he kept walking up. I made a difference to that one. And some of you, when you look at the big needs of humanity, I mean, starving children... You look at just needs in Asheville, it seems like you can't make that big of a difference. But what if you can make the difference to one? What if all of us could impact one? It would make a big difference, amen? So look at this little boy. He had a few things going against him. He was young. He was small. He was insignificant. His lunch was very small and the crowd was very large. If anyone here today feels like you don't have much going for you, you felt that. In your past, well, maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe I'm not beautiful enough or handsome enough. Maybe I'm not talented or gifted enough. Maybe I'm not resourced enough. Maybe I'm not whatever enough. You know what God likes to do? He likes to add himself 
to your equation, erasing all your not enoughs. Because God alone is more than enough. And he's not part of your equation. He is the equation. So I want this little boy to inspire all of us to realize that God can help you through it. Amen? If you will place your small into the hands of a big God, he can do amazing things. Finally, we have F, which stands for what? Follow. B, which stands for? S, which stands for? And the final letter is P, which you got on your screen, pick up. Now this, for those of you who have had pasts that have been a little shady, you, you've had things that have hurt you in the past, family drama, uh, you're going through stuff now, this, this, this point's just for you. Pick up. Allow God to pick up the broken pieces. I think there's a lesson in the leftovers. What's interesting, they took up how many baskets? One interesting thing about this miracle is not just that they fed potentially 20,000 people, but they ended up with more food than what they started with. You guys ever thought about that? A lot more food than what they started with. And this is just a little you know, sanctified speculation here, but perhaps 12, obviously there's 12 disciples, but could it be symbolizing that the 12, it represents the 12 tribes of Israel? And Jesus is saying, I'm doing, I'm doing something new. This is the church. This is the new Israel. Just a thought. So, when you think about this, there's a lesson in the leftovers. Notice back in verse 12, 13, I believe it was, it says, Jesus says, pick up all the fragments so that nothing is left. Let nothing be left over. So, if you've ever went through a hard time in your life, you've ever been through a trial, you've ever had a shady past, and you feel like God can't use those years of my life. God can't use the years of my life when I was a prodigal or... God can't use those years of my life when I was in addiction. I've got good news for you. If you will surrender even the broken pieces to God, He can use all things. He doesn't want anything to be wasted. Does it not say that in the Scripture? Let nothing be wasted. So for those of you who have hurts in your past, if you'll even give the broken pieces. You know, some of us don't have the five loaves and two fish to give. We just have broken pieces, and Jesus wants those too. If you will just give the broken pieces left over to Jesus... He's going to make something beautiful out of it. He's going to turn your ashes into beauty. He's going to turn your sorrow into joy. But you have to be willing to give the broken pieces. Finally, let's look at this little boy. Small is the new big. There was a small boy, but a big God. You may not feel like you have a lot to bring, but if you'll just place what little you have into God's hands, He'll do something amazing. We have a small boy, a big God. We have a small lunch, but a big crowd. If you give what little you have, you'll be surprised in the course of your lifetime how many people you can impact, how many lives you can influence. We have small scraps, but big baskets full of food. We have a small faith, but we have big results. What does the Bible say? If you have faith as small as the what? A mustard seed, you can move mountains. And then we have a small voice but a big echo. And even today, as we read his story, his voice echoes today. And if, I, if the little boy could stand before us now, he would probably say something like this. I gave my little lunch to Jesus. What are you going to give to him? If you'll just give what little you have into God's hand, he will do something that will blow your mind. And even after you go on to be with the Lord, people will still speak about what little you gave and what big God did through it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that 
you have an amazing plan. I thank you that small is the new big when we place what small we have into the hands of a big God. Father, right now I'm wondering who here would say, Timothy, you know, when you mention about following Jesus for the right motives, when you mention about believing that God can use little things to change the world, when you mention that miracles start with surrender, you've got to surrender what you have. It's not what you don't have, it's what you do have. And when you mention about picking up the pieces, that God can use even the broken parts of you, even the things of your life that you've asked God to forgive you, but they still haunt you. God can still use the broken pieces. I have faith like a little boy where I just want to say, God, I don't have a lot, but what I do have, I give to you. I give you my five loaves and two fish. If that's you, raise your hand. I want to say a special prayer of you. And my hand's up there with you. Father, for all those who would say, take what I have, use it. I pray, God, that you would multiply the gifts, talents, and abilities. God, I pray that you would even take the, the past mistakes that we've asked forgiveness for and that we feel brokenness over, that you would be the God who heals and that you would even use the broken pieces for something great. And if there's one that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, it's no magical prayer to your heart reaching out to God. It, 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 just right there in the comfort of your seat, if you would just say something like this, Jesus, I haven't given my lunch to you, much less I haven't given my life to you. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross, that you were buried and you rose again. And Jesus, before I give my lunch to you, my five loaves and two fish, I need to give my life to you. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and make me a brand new person. And friend, if you prayed that prayer during the hymn of invitation, I want to invite you to come down. Father, thank you for hearing your prayers. We love you. We thank you. And we thank you that small is the new big when we place our small into the hands of a big God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. If you guys